You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. It is so great to be with all of you today. By now, you've recognized that I'm not in the room with you, and that's why I'm here on video, because my family and I, we are up in Tennessee with Sarah's family. Um, Our niece is getting married this weekend, and Avery was a part of that ceremony. And then while we're up here, um, we're tending to a couple other family matters Um, while we're here, but I'm looking forward to being back with all of you this next week in the house. It is going to be awesome. So if you've got your Bibles or you got a smart device, uh, why don't you turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament. We're going to be in that very first book of the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We call that the Gospel because Gospel means good news, and Matthew is One of the books, along with Mark, Luke, and John, that specifically tell the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to land in Matthew chapter 5 here in just a minute, because today we are in part two of a series called Hashtag Blessed, where over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And each of these beatitudes are principles that serve as various keys that you and I can use to unlock the blessing and happiness of the Lord in our lives as we choose to live in alignment with the kingdom of God. And last week, we kicked off this series by talking about what it looks like to be poor in spirit. And so if you missed that message, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen uh, to our podcast or perhaps watch along on our YouTube channel so that you can catch up and um, be here with us today. But before we jump into um, the scripture for this morning, uh, I got to know, show of hands, who are my parents in the room? Parents. Those of you who are parents will no doubt be familiar with a particular stage that most every child goes through where it seems like their favorite word in the English language is why, right? Can I get a witness in the house? You know, for those of you that have kids, no doubt you've experienced that. Your kids, they constantly want to know why. And, and the good news is for some of you here this morning that, that while that phase begins somewhere around age two or three, it only lasts until somewhere in the vicinity of age 37. So there's hope for all of you parents today in the house. It's, it's just the first 40 years of parenting that are the most difficult, and then after that, it's pretty much downhill from there. You know, sometimes this question of why is asked out of genuine curiosity by our kids. Maybe it's due to a lack of understanding or a desire to have something explained to them or simply to be provided with additional information. But a lot of the time, why isn't really a question. In fact, it's, it's really more of an argument. Why challenges authority? It's, it's a means by which a child will pressure their mom or their dad to change their mind about a decision that's already been made. Or it's a ploy to manipulate a parent so that that child will, in the end, get his 
or her own way. Or it's perhaps a way to prolong a less than desirable outcome that the child realizes is nothing short of inevitable. And what I've come to discover is that many of us fail to get past this phase even as we enter into adulthood, particularly when it comes to the areas of our lives where we face adversity and tragedy and difficulty. You know, we're cruising along with our arrow pointed in the direction of Jesus. We're growing in our relationship with the Lord. We're living a lifestyle of integrity. We're showing honor up, down, and sideways in every aspect of our life. We're taking a posture of servanthood towards others. We're even living in generosity with our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony. We're doing all of the right things, the things that we're supposed to do. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, tragedy strikes. And our first inclination is to raise our fists to the heavens and declare, why? Why is this happening to us, right? Maybe you know somebody who you would say has struggled all of their life, yet in the midst of all of that, despite all of that, they've continued to be a good, decent, and hardworking person, someone that we would describe as salt of the earth. And just when it seems like something is finally going to go their way, the rug gets yanked out from under them, And they fall flat on their face. And we see that happen to those around us that we're in relationship with. And we can't help but wonder, why? Why why is that the case? Or, Or perhaps you know a different kind of person. Maybe you know someone who is cruel and deceitful and cold hearted and uncaring. But it seems that they have the Midas touch. They're constantly surrounded by success and prosperity, despite the fact that they use people and tend to throw them under the bus at a moment's notice in order to take advantage and get ahead. And we see all of that taking place, and we demand to know the answer. Why is that even a possibility? See, here's the problem. Just like a little kid, when we respond to these situations by asking why, We aren't really asking a question. Instead, we're trying to argue or even pick a fight with God. We're we're insinuating that that in that one word, why, that, that life just isn't fair. What we're saying to God is that we believe that he should change the way that things are going or that he should personally step in and do something about it. It, it perpetuates this attitude that we know better than God and, and that perhaps he's not doing his job the way that he's supposed to. And so we want to get into an argument with him about it. And the difficulty of it all is that we just can't seem to reconcile within ourselves why it is that bad things can happen to good people. It just doesn't make sense. But you know what? The the Bible never promises that the life of the Christ follower is going to be sunshine and rainbows all the time and, and full of health and wealth and happiness. And in fact, if someone has ever told you that, then that person is a liar. Consider what Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 24. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, that sounds really inviting, doesn't it, right? 
Later in John 16, Jesus said to his followers, he said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. In other words, it is a 100% guarantee that life is going to be this way for those who choose to follow Jesus. There's simply no other way around it. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you are exempt from things like heartache or difficulty or grief. You know, you can still, you can be devoted to Jesus and, and still get cancer. You, you can still have a child with special needs. Your parents can still get Alzheimer's. Your spouse can still decide to just walk away from their relationship with you. Here's what Jesus says later on in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. He says, For God gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. At the closing of the Sermon on the Mount, later on in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus even shares a story about two men, one of whom is wise and the other is foolish, who built their homes on different foundations, one on the rock and the other on the sand. And then the storm came. Maybe you remember this song from Sunday school or kids' church, you know, the rains came down and the floods came up. And despite the fact that the outcome was different for both men, they each had to endure the same storm. In other words, the same difficulties that come against the world are going to come against those of us who follow Jesus as well. It's what Peter was writing about in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses uh, 12 and 13, where he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. See, the difference between the believer and the non-believer has nothing to do with the trials and the adversity that they are forced to deal with. Rather, the difference is found in the manner in which they deal with it, how they handle the adversity, how they manage the crisis. And for the person living their life outside of a relationship with Jesus, when they face a crisis, they're often left without any hope. When all the friends are gone, when the bank account is empty, when their intellect has failed them, when the resources have run out, the person without a relationship with Jesus is forced to simply give up, throw in the towel. There's not much that they can do beyond that. But, but this is not the case for the person that's living in the right relationship with Jesus, Because though his friends may abandon him, though his money may run dry, though his intellect may fail, though his resources may be depleted, he does not lose hope because he still has Jesus. And I love the person who came up with the equation that says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. See, for the person outside the kingdom of God, Adversity strikes and, and life just keeps piling it on and compacting and compounding until eventually that person gets crushed beneath the weight of it all and everything gets ruined. But for the one who is a part of God's kingdom, he has the assurance from the Lord that's found in Isaiah 4, uh, 42 verse 3 that says, God will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. 
You know, someone once said, if you ever wonder why bad things happen to good people, it's because God knows they're capable of handling it. But I beg to differ. Instead, I would say, if you've ever wondered why bad things happen to good people, it's because God knows that he is capable of handling it. See, it it gives us, in the midst of all those bad things, it gives us an opportunity to lean into him and and to trust him even more. It provides us with an opportunity to strengthen our faith and add a brand new stanza to our testimony. It provides us with an opportunity for his glory to be revealed in our life in a fresh new way. Sure, testing is going to come. We're going to have to endure some hardships We will no doubt encounter a number of storms along the way through the course of this life. But the Lord sees us. He knows us. He he realizes our limitations because he made us. He formed our innermost parts. He knows the number of hairs or the lack thereof that are on our head. And he will not crush a weak reed or put out a flickering flame. And see, just when we think we've reached the end of our rope, you and I, we can be reminded of what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We can be reminded of Psalm 34 and 19, which says, The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. We can be reminded of Joshua 1 and 9, which says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We can be reminded of John 16, where Jesus says, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We can be reminded of what Paul writes in Romans 8, 18. Where he says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We can be reminded of the words of that song that we sing so often here at Christ Walk Church. Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. That is our hope today. That is the reason why we don't lose heart. That is why we don't give up because that is the difference. You know, it's, it's interesting to me, but it seems that the one question that God rarely, if ever, answers in the scripture is the question of why. In fact, when we ask questions like, Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm not entirely convinced that that's really even a question that we should be asking in the first place. The better question, in my opinion, is what do good people do when bad things happen to them? And the good news is, is that the Bible is full of answers to that question, which brings us to the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. You've turned there already, Matthew chapter 5. Let's zoom in on verse 4 together. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the human experience has taught us that every person who experiences loss also mourns in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And the person who doesn't know Jesus mourns, but they're never really 
comforted. They, they may somehow be able to pick up the pieces and trudge along in and through life, but there's always going to be emptiness. There's always going to be loneliness. There's always going to be a void or a hole that is left behind. The person who doesn't know Christ winds up living with bitterness and resentment as a result of the loss that they've experienced. It'll sometimes manifest itself in hostility and anger or other times through addiction or perhaps in deep depression or sometimes simply by making everyone around them absolutely miserable and and then other times by just seeming that there's always a dark cloud hanging overhead. The truth is, this is not God's design for those of us who are citizens of his kingdom. He says that though we may experience loss and grief, that we can still be happy. We can still experience his blessing. That even though we mourn, we can still know happiness and joy. Because when a person who experiences great loss continues to trust Jesus in the midst of it, it's Christ himself that is able to bring comfort to them. He's able to feel, fill up the emptiness. He is able to come in and, and to heal the hurt. He's able to provide new purpose and direction. He's able to turn tragedy into triumph. He's able to turn those, those tears into shouts of victory. So, the question then is, what do good people do when bad things happen to them? Well, first, they mourn. That's right. They mourn. You need to understand that if you've experienced loss, it's okay to mourn. Because only those who mourn have the possibility of receiving comfort. As long as you walk through life maintaining a, a stiff upper lip kind of attitude, you're never going to be in position to receive that comfort you so desperately desire. The writer of Ecclesiastes, in fact, tells us that, that there is a time and a season to mourn. We see this in the life of Jesus as he's standing at the mouth of the tomb of his deceased friend Lazarus. In John eleven thirty five, 35, we read that Jesus wept. You see, nowhere in the Bible does it communicate that we are to ignore the pain of loss. Nowhere does it say that we're to pretend that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't say anywhere that we need to stuff down and bury our emotions. Instead, we're supposed to feel we need to mourn the loss. We, we need to embrace the sadness. We need to let the tears flow because in those tears, we can find healing. I love this verse out of Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. It says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. So go ahead and weep when you've experienced loss. But then recognize that you don't have to stay there. The, the season of weeping is not all that there is. Mourning is not all that there is because the comfort will come. That's a promise that you and I have from the Lord. The question for many of us that have experienced loss and, and tragedy and crisis and find ourselves in the middle of adversity, perhaps even now, is, is simply, how do we get through the long night of weeping so that we can experience the joy that comes with the sunrise of the morning? You know, perhaps you've heard it said that 
Time heals all wounds. But the truth is, time in and of itself, it heals nothing. But rest assured, there is a way to make it through the season of mourning and weeping so that you can experience the joy and the happiness that is promised to those that are a part of the kingdom of God. Whether you've experienced the loss of health or position or reputation or relationship or the loss of a loved one in in death, whatever kind of loss you have experienced, you need to know that there's healing, there is help that is available to you. You can make it through the weeping and the mourning and experience the joy and the happiness that can be found only through relationship with Jesus Christ. Consider this promise that was spoken about the Lord as a prophecy in Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. That is the promise that the Lord makes to those who are his. That is the promise that you and I can take hold of for our life today. See, when we choose to place our faith and our hope and our trust in the Lord, then we can receive the gift of abiding comfort and joy that no one is able to take away from us. When you entrust the Lord with everything you have and with everyone you love, your testimony can then become the testimony of Job who said, the Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. But praise be the name of the Lord. Your testimony can be that of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy who said, For I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. When you've placed your hope in Jesus Christ, your testimony can be that of Habakkuk who said, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That's the hope that we have here this morning. Now, let's take a little closer look at our verse for today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, it would be really easy for us to read this verse and interpret it more like, blessed are those that mourn for they shall get over it. But that's not the meaning or the intention at all. See, that word comforted is the same word used to describe the Holy Spirit later in the New Testament. It's the word, the Greek word paraclete. And and paraclete is someone, a paraclete is someone who is called to one side to provide assistance. And so this particular promise from the Beatitudes is 
Not that those who mourn will simply get over it, but rather that those who mourn will have a special place reserved for them right beside God himself. It, it kind of makes me think of a small child that's maybe fallen and skinned his knee, and his mother gathers him up in her arms and tends to his wound, calming his whimpers and, and drying his tears. When, when we cry out to God in the midst of our anguish and grief, it is then that the Lord calls us and draws us to his side, close to his heart, under the protection of his loving embrace. No wonder the promise for those who mourn is is comfort and blessing and happiness. Because those that mourn are called directly to the Lord's side. And, And here's what happens Whenever we position ourselves at the Lord's, the Lord's side, maybe, maybe you're taking notes. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down. There, there are five things that flow into our life as a result of us being near to the Lord's side. And the first one of those things is courage. When we turn to God in a moment of crisis, he responds by giving us the courage we need to push through and, and to carry on. When you feel like you have no more left to give, when when it seems like you won't be able to take another step, when you just can't make it any further, the Holy Spirit floods into your life and gives you courage to face the next day and the next day and then the next day after that. Philippians 4, 12 and 13, Paul says this. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. First off, the Lord is going to bring us courage. Secondly, when we come close to his side, he gives us calm. He gives us calm. See, in the midst of adversity, the person that is without Jesus often becomes anxious and fearful. But the person who is walking with Christ can lean on the truth of what Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, where he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Though the storm may be raging all around you, God's promise, the one that comes to us from the one who looked at the storm and said, peace be still. His promise to us in the midst of all of that is his peace and his calm today. The third thing that's going to come into your life as a result of you being close and near to the Lord's side is companionship. Companionship. See, one of the things that I've discovered as I've walked with the Lord and, and I've been a part of a fellowship of believers as a part of a church is that when crisis and tragedy has come into my life that I'm never alone. See, when, when others know that you're struggling, when they, when they know that you're mourning, when they know that you're having a tough time, they, they can provide a great deal of comfort through a text message or a phone call or maybe providing a meal for your family or simply dropping by to just chat with you, encourage you, and pray with you. See, this is the power of life groups 
And it's one of the primary reasons that you should make it a point to be in one this fall when they launch later at the end of this month. You'll be finding out more details about that in the next few weeks. But I would highly encourage you, get into a group, surround yourself with some other people, get out of these rows and get into a circle and do life with other people. Because when crisis hits and devastation rears its ugly head in your life, it's often the fellowship we have with other believers that can serve as a sustaining force of comfort for us. Consider the writer of Ecclesiastes from chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can help keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. See, when we trust God with our hurts, not only will he be our companion, but he will also send along other companions to bring help and healing in the midst of our pain. So God will bring us courage. He'll bring us calm. He'll bring us companionship. And the fourth thing that he brings into our life when we draw close to his side is compassion. Compassion. When we experience and then endure hard times, it allows us to develop a greater sensitivity to the needs of others that are around us and the kinds of pain that they might be experiencing. We can allow tough times to cause us to become callous and hard-hearted, or we can allow it to create a greater sense of empathy in our heart towards others that are in our life. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. So whenever we experience difficulty in life, know that it doesn't necessarily mean that God is disciplining you. Perhaps he's simply developing something in you and and equipping you to be able to better minister to others who may one day cross your path down the road. When we draw close to God, he's going to give us his courage. He's going to give us his calm. He is going to give us companionship. He's going to bring compassion. And then fifth and finally, when we draw close to the side of the Lord, he's going to bring about a new commitment. See, people facing tragedy suddenly have a new perspective on life. Some of the things that once seemed precious begin to not seem so important anymore. When tragedy strikes our life, our values tend to shift and to change. Relationships with family and friends become all the more important. Life itself becomes more precious to us than any position or status or material possession. When you experience loss, You're able to to learn to enjoy what you still have left. You learn to treasure the things that are of eternal and lasting value over the things that are 
simply temporary. Instead of loving things and using people, you begin to love people and use things. And when you arrive at that place in life, that's when you've learned one of the secrets to be truly happy. And when you learn that, then you are truly blessed. If you've experienced loss, if you find yourself in the midst of a season of mourning today, I want you to know that the Lord sees you. The Lord cares about you. And he wants to turn your mourning and weeping into shouts of joy and victory. And and in fact, that's his promise to you today. But you also need to know that this promise of comfort and blessing, it's only for his disciples. For those of us who have made a commitment to surrender to his way with our lives. As we surrender to Christ as we then turn to him in the midst of our grief, as we release the hurt over to him, what's going to happen is he's going to begin to release his spirit into our lives. He's going to call us to his side. He's going to give us a garland of beauty for our ashes, joyous blessing for our mourning, festive praise to replace our despair. So if you're here this morning in the room with us or perhaps watching today online, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, but but you're ready and you want to do that today, right now. If that's you, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship Today, I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. See, our scripture for today says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That shall be, that means it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. That's the promise of God to you today. So do you need comfort this morning? Do you desire the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you perhaps in the midst of grieving some kind of loss today? If that's you, then as the band leads us in worship together, I invite you to bring it to the Lord in prayer. These altars are going to be open, and I invite you to come forward and receive prayer for your mourning, your grief, your distress, your discomfort. Receive that prayer today. We have prayer partners in place that will come and they'll lay hands on you and they will agree with you and believe with you in prayer for God to move in your life and for you to experience his comfort in the midst of your mourning. So all over this house, let's stand. Let's get ready to worship the Lord together through song. These altars are open. You may come and receive prayer today. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.